Hello, fellow lovers and movie lovers alike. I'm Haley. And I'm Javi. And you're listening to the Just, Just Be Polly Podcast. Podcast, where we discuss movies and in the end answer the question, could these problems be solved with polyamory? Let's find out. Hello. Today we're talking about Friends with Benefits from 2011. This film was Haley's choice. Haley, why'd you pick this film? I recently watched this film on Netflix and I hadn't seen it in a really long time. I don't really remember when this came out. Do you know? 2011. 2011. So yeah, I hadn't seen it since I guess it came out. Um, I remember liking it a lot. I think I've definitely seen it a few times, um, but rewatching it again now at 26... You know, I, I come from a, a pretty promiscuous background, you know, like like I've like I've always been very passionate about sex and I've always, you know, really enjoyed it with my partners. And I've, I think that I've really calmed down with it is kind of how I've been describing it over the years and not necessarily in any given relationship, just kind of like trying to always be so safe in our polyamorous connection and um working really hard to make sure that we're protected and we protect the other people around us i think it's it's funny i'm i'm like the most prude i've ever been in my life and um so like i like to tell people that i'm a slut but not practicing <laughs> yeah so what this kind of like i recently watched it and i actually i swear to you i put this a picture of these two people in the movie um Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis chatting on the couch uh, on my vision board because I really appreciated and, and respected the kind of like carelessness. I don't necessarily know if reckless is a great way to describe it, but carefree attitude to sex that I think I kind of have lost when it comes to pursuing new partners in polyamory. And um, I'm really excited to discuss it with you today. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I watched this movie never. Never watched this movie. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know you've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, I only saw those trailers, you know, like when it came out when I was a little teen and everything, but I've never actually seen it. The only time I saw it before we watched it together for this film, for this podcast, was when you were watching it, as you were mentioning it rather recently, a couple months ago. It really impacted me. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was cool. I thought it was tight. I was like, huh, I've done that kind of stuff before. That's, uh, yeah, I remember that. That was nice. I never, I don't think I've ever had a, a situation like, well, not like an active situation. I've like pursued romantic connections with people that ended up being just a friendship kind of connection. Um, but it was never something that was like an active agreement, kind of like this film started out. Yeah, they're, they were much more communicative than how I was. They're actually very more communicative than a lot of on-screen couples. And I'm couples. excited to talk to you about that too because they, they go into that and like the reason why they feel more okay to communicate and I think that's a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get into it. Let's do it. So, Friends with Benefits. Jamie Rellis and Dylan Harper form a business friendship in the biggest apple of them all <laughs> and naively believe adding sex to their friendship will not lead to complications. Over time, they begin to develop deep feelings for each other, only to deny it each time they are together. A game of emotional cat and mouse ensues. Will they or won't they? Can their friendship handle the benefits? Will the benefits outweigh the friendship? Can they simply be 
Friends with benefits? You know, this film does not leave that much to the imagination. You see a lot of butts. You do. So it's all out there. It really is. So when I watched it, I wasn't that curious about some stuff, you know? The only thing that I was wondering was, how do I be a part of a flash mob? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's pretty simple. You want to know how, Javi? Uh, Facebook groups? Literally. Yeah, yeah. that's it. You Google it. So yeah, like I Googled it in a second. There's like flash mob meetup groups. That sounds fun. It would be kind of cool to be a part of like an engagement flash mob. I've seen people do that. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, uh, yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, okay, how does one do that? Because flash mobs are really featured in this film. I think, well, like in the beginning when... Um, what are their names? I keep saying Mila Kunis and, and Justin Timberlake, but what are their Dylan names? Dylan Harper is Justin Timberlake's character mm-hmm. and Jamie Rellis is Mila Kunis' character. Okay, Dylan and Jamie. So Dylan gets headhunted by Jamie and he uh, meets her at the airport in this really cute, quirky way. It was a bit bizarre. Um, you know, so like she doesn't have a sign prepared, which is weird because in the first scene of the movie, she's um meeting up with this guy and it's funny this guy he's a he's a comedian at the time i don't andy sandberg yeah um so that's the guy that dumps her in the beginning of the movie and he describes her as being really put together so i'm a little um like confused as to why she didn't have a sign prepared for him when he landed in the hotel or not the hotel the airport you know, she made a makeshift one out of mm-hmm. lipstick and then the wind blew it out of her hands and she's jumping over things and, lit and like on the conveyor belt and stuff. And she seemed really frantic in the morning of because she was like changing clothes in the taxi and all these things. Yeah. And she's running around. So, yeah, I don't know why I can't remember exactly what happened the night before that or if we were even shown. We were just shown like she woke up late. She was frantic. She didn't even have a sign prepared. Yeah. But she still made it happen. Yeah. Like we were shown that she's resourceful and really intelligent because of that unorganizedness and she came off as like really quirky um and, and cool and fun and carefree um so yeah and, and honestly I'm, I'm a bit confused by her character generally um they describe her as emotionally damaged many many times but the only thing that makes her look emotionally damaged is um her makeup mm-hmm. other than that like yeah she saying, seems fine. saying that a person is something without actually showing us is not actually them being that yeah, you like you you just have to take your word for it, movie. Um so so yeah, um yeah, I was just thinking about that a little bit. But um yeah, what she does is, you know, she's trying to sell him on this job. Now thinking about it, he was probably so turned off by coming to New York because of his father with dementia back in California, which is not something they talk about later in the movie. Um, but anyway, she she um, she's like, I'm not going to sell you on this job. I'm going to sell you on New York. And he's like, well, what's the big what's the big deal? Um, and then the, the thing that gets him is the flash mob. And I can see that, you know, this like group of people silently, not so silently, you know, but like without spoken word, without connection, unified in this dance that's public and just fun and really wholesome too. And that's, and she's in love with it. And then he ends up using it in his marketing materials later in the film. It's funny. Cause you would think that a, a, a really fun and wholesome event like that, like a flash mob would take place more in a place like LA versus New York. 
Given Which the is stereotypes. where he's from. Yeah. So yeah, I noted the flash mob and where to find it. Um, and then um, there, there's this game. Uh, not game, but like, I don't know about this. So Jamie's mother in the film, when we meet her, is constantly saying, um, <laughs> like, when Jamie leaves the bananas in the, the fridge, her mom opens the fridge and she's like, what are you, Puerto Rican? She's like, that's horrible, mother. And uh, she's like, I'm just kidding. Your dad was Puerto Rican. She's like, I thought you said he was Russian. Yeah. And that was like a, a joke throughout the film. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about that. I was as I was watching it. I was like, is this something that they've been they she's been doing her whole life? I'm not, I'm not sure how old Jamie is in this movie, but she's early 30s. They're in their uh, 25 to 30 range. That's what it seems. Yeah, I was gonna say late 20s, but they seem really put together i think for late 20s and i'm not saying it's it's impossible to be that that's put what the together. actor said there yeah yeah what like it's a, it's like a six-year age gap though you know not, not an age gap between the characters but like 25 to 30 like did what did, what do you mean so um they don't say exactly how old they are but justin timberlake was just quoted as saying you know they worked really closely with the writer and the characters ages are between 25 and 30 i can see um dylan being late 20s but i think um jamie is might be early 30s that's kind of the vibe i get from their character she seems very adult to me um and like once again not saying that that's not like you're not it's not possible to happen in that age but for her to be where she is in life kind of doing the job she's doing i just feel like it might take a little bit more time to get there so that's why i think that she's maybe early 30s and he's um late 20s because he was working at like um a small company doing really well and he got noticed by a big company and that seems like something that maybe more so happens in your in your late 20s so yeah i was uh thinking about jamie's mother playing that game with her and if she's played that game with her her entire life or if it's just kind of been like a joke within the last couple of years or so when she kind of stumbles in her life and from whatever manic experience she's dealing with at that moment what do you think well, I have a whole thing about that. You do? Yeah. Okay. Well, before you get into it, I would just looked up Myla Kunis's actual heritage because she is very ethnically ambiguous, which is the whole joke, um, especially because her mom is like white, chestnut, brown hair, and like soft brown eyes. So she's um, Eastern European, Ukrainian. Okay. Right. Yeah. Now we know. Who's your daddy? He's Ukrainian. Yeah. So her dad is kind of a, an ambiguous figure like a like a mysterious puzzle piece that's never put back together and let me just go a little bit into these characters like in general like comparing them both so the the main writer william gluck and he, i think he also directed it would meet with justin timberlake and Maya lacunas with 20 pages of scripts at a time and the three of them would quote beat it up i have a question yeah do you know why he um asked Myla Kunis and Justin Timberlake in particular to work on the script with him? I don't know. Apparently he came up with the script out of the idea of working with them. So he wrote the script specifically for these characters, for these actors. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. That's all the information I could find about the inspiration for this film or why, but he really wanted to work with them. And he, he did. Justin Timberlake was the first person on board and then Myla Kunis and then everybody else signed on the board. 
And so these uh, these three would, you know, beat up the script and change lines and defend each other, each character's perspectives. And, you know, Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake have a, a very charming chemistry, and especially together on screen, and it can make paint drying and entertaining. <laughs> I agree. But I think this kind of close collaboration resulted in compelling characters, a little multidimensional. I think compelling as well. There are a couple times where Jamie's character gets like kind of dumb. Why do you say that? I we can get into that later. Please I have a, tell me. I have a couple of scenes I want to review with you, okay. so I'll pull it up later. All right. So yeah. So Jamie, uh, she's you know as we talked about earlier, like in the airport, you know she's unafraid of obstacles getting in her way. Either physically, like when she illegally trespasses into a building to get onto her secret rooftop view. Or emotionally, like willing to get into a relationship with people she's not actually that compatible with. Like the Doctor character or Andy Samberg's character in order to get the fully in love relationship that she wants. She's got a bit of that New York toughness uh, against Justin Timberlake's L.A. kind of laid back approach. To sex and relationships. He's like, we can't cross the street. The The stop sign is lit. And she's like, oh, you're so cute. Yeah. She's, uh, she's like, all right, buddy. I'm going to show you the... We'll show you the real world. <laughs> when Javi tries to get me to jaywalk, I shout, danger! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Myla Kunis, and she's Timberlake <laughs> in this instance. Um, but the film elaborates on these traits... Their exes say that Justin Timberlake's character, Dylan, is too laid back to the point where he's, quote, emotionally unavailable. And Jamie is, quote, more in love with the idea of love rather than the person she is loving. So in the beginning, the one of the things that Dylan's ex is uh, saying when she breaks up with him is maybe you should care a little bit less about work and a little more about the girl that you're dating. Because last time I checked, work doesn't reassure you that liking a finger up your ass doesn't make you gay. I never said go up, okay? I just said lightly around. It's like a like a little button. You know what? Not your issue anymore. So that's that's something that his ex says in that. She, she does say you're a little too emotionally unavailable, if you ask me. But she also kind of implies that he was a little bit too into his job as well. Which he does move across the country for. Mm-hmm. But also, this brings up a point, you know, they they, they make a lot of... Uh, of <laughs> Gay jokes? They where make a where lot, he gets a lot, really defensive. Yeah, they make a lot of jokes where he gets really defensive of not being gay. Let's answer it once and for all. Does a finger on your butt make you gay? No. No. But I don't know, I'm a bit confused these days. I look, I think not. Whatever you feel inside, like what you know is what you know. You're right. No, and I agree. Like whatever a person deems, like I remember because like my my personal sexuality still confuses me. Um, And I have noticed or learned that women tend to fluctuate a bit more than men do. Their their sexuality does tend to be a bit more fluid. But I have been quoted as saying, um you like <laughs> there there was a time in my life where i would like you know eat women out be with women but it wasn't gay <laughs> it, like it felt like helping a friend masturbate and i don't like it doesn't necessarily always feel that way 
um, more recently, but like years ago within the last, like, I've like, I've been, it's been tricky y'all. I'm not even going to lie, but yeah, like I have been quoted saying that. And I stood by that because that's exactly how I felt at the time. So you can absolutely walk in on someone giving someone else head. And if they say it's, they're not gay, then they're not gay. Yeah. That's where we stand. So, you know, kind of going back to where you were talking about her dad, there was this kind of like her dad. Oh, right. Her mm -hmm. absent dad. Yeah. Okay. It's touched on briefly, but part of Dylan and Jamie's attraction to each other is due to them both being raised in single parent households. So for background, Dylan's mom left when he was young and Jamie's mom kept his, her dad's identity a mystery her whole life. You can probably read this dynamic through like a Freudian lens and say that they both serve as those missing parental figures. I can totally see that. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. Sort of uh, that idea that also that like they're broken so I can fix them and they can fix me. I was wondering what you thought of their their parents in their lives, like personally or maybe like their impact that they have on their relationship. Um, I'm sure the impact is great. Um, you know, like w there's so much, um, literature and studies about how the first years of your life impact you and impact your identity, like who you feel you are as a person. And if you come from a place where you feel like something's missing, there's so much that can stem from that. And I 100% am sure that that has impacted their relationships. You know, like, um, like, and I'm definitely no, definitely no psychologist or anything like that, but, um, what Jamie, I don't know, Jamie, Jamie is continuously quoted as looking for a fairy tale or looking for true love. Um, but she's more interested in being in the relationship than who she's with. I don't know how that pertains to her father, but I'm I'm sure it shows up. And that's probably where a lot of their emotional un unavailability comes from. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I thought about their relationships and I, I think the, the mom is a little toxic for, uh, for Jamie. She's very flaky. Yeah. Flighty. Yeah. yeah. Flaky and flighty. She does flake on her when they make plans. Um, and there's not another person to carry that parental burden yeah it's, you're right it's just the one and it's she you know she reminds me of uh the love interest in forrest gump oh jenny yeah, yeah. really right yeah. just like her go fourth of july weekend i'll be with you and then oh i'm off for four weeks to paris mm -hmm. yeah i was thinking about uh dylan's dad in this the guy who has dementia he seems so young to be so sick <laughs> yeah i know right and it just uh you know he was talking about He's the smartest man I've ever known. Uh, he taught me all these things. And it just made me think. I was like, wow. You know, like this, it, it, he has that moment where they're at the airport and he has this thing of like taking off his pants in public and just walking around. And he's hanging takes them it, up to dry. Yeah, it's hanging them up to dry in the airport. You yeah. know, while, and they sit at a sit down like a steak restaurant in the airport. And he's like, he's just got his, uh, his drawers on. And so he's like, are you going to join me? And Justin Timberlake says, you know what? whatever yeah i'll take off my pants too and i'll join my dad even though it's a little embarrassing but i love him and the waitress comes and they serve them steak like that and they're just talking and he has that moment where he says you know 
I under I know I know what you think whenever you look at me and you see me do these things. Like I I can see it. I have moments where I realize what's happening, and it's uh and it sucks. Like I I'm I'm okay. I'm still the same person, you know. But it's just I can't control what my body's doing. It sucks, and so like go after that girl because life is short and all that. And that just made me think, man. What if my dad was like that? You know, like what if my dad he's like so strong and so smart and he's taught me many so many things. He's like Superman. And what if all of a sudden, boom, dementia hits, and that's all. That's all she wrote. Like he's he's gone. He's under. He starts deteriorating in front of my eyes. I'm sure like it I, would break your heart. Yeah, it really felt for for Justin Timberlake in in that in that moment. That that's just uh, totally broke my heart to see that for him. But yeah, so like both both of these characters basically are have no parents because they're. Oh my god! I didn't even think about it that way. Yeah. I'm sure some Freudian scientist is probably salivating right now. <laughs> what are some other things you notice about this film? Javi, if you ever flick food out of my hand, we're done. Do you know how many times they did that in the movie? I didn't even notice people, it once. People just be flicking food out of people's hands. They get mad and then they flick your food on the ground. It's nasty. It's, it's really rude. Well, it's sanitary as well. I think it was really funny to watch being outside of the situation. It, it tickles my pickle. But being <laughs> in it, ooh, you're paying for my my <laughs> my vegan tuna melt. <laughs> wow. I didn't even notice I'm doing that. They literally, okay, so the um, Jamie does it in the breakup scene when, <laughs> when she's like, um, you said... You loved me. And he's like, when did I say that? And she goes, when we were having sex in that bed and breakfast. He's like, oh, well, that doesn't. And she's like, what? And he's like, count? And then she flicks the sandwich out of his hand. Oh. Yeah, that's the first time. Why do you bring a sandwich to a breakup? That was his own fault right there. You know, honestly, I didn't even see the sandwich in his hand until she flicked it out of his hand. Mm -hmm. And it just manifested for her to flick it. Yeah. They wrote it in the last minute. That's hilarious. Well, um, yeah, but no, that I think that um, Dylan does that one time, and then I think my uh, Jamie does it one more time as well. So that's just like a big, a big joke in the film. Flicking food, I did notice that. Well, I'll never do that to you. I really appreciate you saying that. I love, uh, I love cooking, and I hate food wasting. You know, so. I might cry. I'll cry too if you if you made food for me and then and then took it away from me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We'll both sob together. <laughs> I noticed the humor was quick, very quick witted in this film, and I appreciated it and I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I like this movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Lord. Okay. Um, I think that Dylan is quoted as keeping his socks on during sex because it's like an intimacy issue. But Javi and I both know uh, about keeping socks on during sex. And I don't know where I read this. It was some article, maybe in Cosmo, something fun. And it was about um, a study that was conducted where there were um, test subjects, couples on couples on couples on couples, um, just uh, meant to have sex. And during, and during it, they were studying if they were having sex and orgasms more with socks on or without socks on and statistically people who wore socks during sex were having more orgasms and i don't necessarily remember why that is but i do know that the receptor in the brain that's connected to orgasms is also 
directly next to um, whatever synapses or whatever is firing that connect to your feet, which is why um, I think foot fetishes are one of the top fetishes is because of the connection to your in your brain. So um, honestly, y'all, I know a lot of people don't like feet out here, but um, I would recommend uh, exploring. Give it a shot. You know, like your own. If you don't explore your own body, your partner's body, whoever, you're just robbing yourself or the person you're seeing of pleasure because of your own shame and that is definitely something that i want to work and want to help other people work to break out of you know what doesn't belong in sex shame keep it at the door absolutely yeah so so yeah try having sex with socks on good for dylan it was an intimacy thing but it's better he's better off for it absolutely yeah socks make you more comfortable anyways you know and you got to get the ones with the rubber on the bottom oh yeah because you know if you're on carpet you're, in wood, you're just gonna be sliding so get get some like cleated socks basically <laughs> get some nice power position and go for it don't be shameful if you're you know if you feel shame just go to church the next morning or something <laughs> but make sure you do some good sinning so you have something to repent for saturday is for sinning sunday is for praying <laughs> Yes, sir. On your knees both nights. My mouth is a ga- is a, w- a jar. <laughs> <laughs> Wide open. <laughs> okay. Another note about the sex that they were having. Um, I've noticed personally that a lot of times when I'm in sexual situations with um, partners, that if I make a certain noise... That is similar to a scream or a squeal. The person that I'm with tends to stop what they're doing in like a panic. And I noticed that in the movie. Dylan was giving Jamie head and his uh, eyes were blocked because he was underneath the sheets. And Jamie makes a similar sound like a squeal or a scream. And Dylan lifts up from the sheets he's like oh my god what happened she's like nothing keep going Mm -hmm. and then he's like, okay but you know what happens when you stop that momentum is that you know if um you know it's orgasms are literally like related to climaxing so it's like the top of a roller coaster right so let's say you're on a roller coaster and you're climbing right and you hear that like and that's the climbing of your little buggy to that top of that climax if your partner stops that momentum i feel and i feel that maybe jamie in the movie feels as well stops that momentum because they're freaking out about a sound that you made then they have to kind of start over and work back up that so i would advise all the people pleasuring out there to not stop if you hear a scream or squealing noise unless they say stop you know unless they say ouch you know things like that i think that generally you know it's okay to keep going especially if you're in a rhythm to keep at keep it up unless they tell you actively to stop yeah people people make all kinds of funny little sounds when they're when they're getting all 
all good inside you know they let out they I let out the some things said that. <laughs> they let out some things you know but yeah it's okay to be a little funny it's okay to be a little weird be cool with it yeah so that was just something that i wanted to like advise people out there because it, it's happened to me many times and I, I did notice that it happened to her which makes me think that it might be a more general experience that people are having so just commenting on it um I noticed a fun body language thing that ha kept happening in this movie. They actively comment on it, which is cool. So um, Dylan says to Jamie, every time you curse, you blink like your body is rejecting it. And that is actually how things go in your body. Um, so, so like if you, if you curse and then you blink, it is because your your you know your your limbic system is blocking it. You're you're some for some reason uncomfortable with it. If you um, it's it's basically blinking or covering your mouth keeps things from entering your body or leaving your body. So like if you if you said something you shouldn't say, you might cover your mouth. Or you know if if someone is doing something that is uncomfortable to you, you might cover your eyes. Things like that. So I thought that was really cool that they, they commented on that in the film. Another sex note. I noticed that in the film, Jamie and Dylan were very adventurous in their sexual exploitation, exploitations. They were doing a lot of different um, positions. And I actually, I'm so excited to talk about this. I want to give a shout out to um, the small business in Tallahassee called Breathe in Color. Um, I'm... <laughs> To be honest, I'm not entirely sure what the business is, but I think they uh, like I do understand they they do um, pole dancing workshops, and um, I do love the the um, concept of pole dancing as an intimate sensual exploration of one's own body instead of for the gaze, whoever's gaze it may be. Um, I went to a vending event there, and it changed my life. I will never forget it. I'm because I was telling Javi, I've told Javi for years. Um, anyone who knows me really well knows that I love musicals. And one of the musicals that's really close to my heart is The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, starring Dolly Parton. And I've actually always really wanted her job. Um, she's basically a pimp. Um, and I kind of had this dream about opening like this sex clinic this therapeutic place where people can go and explore their bodies or get some type of therapy with their partner or learn things just like this this beautiful space of sexual and shameless exploration and um there was a woman there and uh, her name escapes me I think it might have been Diane or something but she's like hello i'm a sexologist and i was at the edge of my seat i was like what what are you? She's mm -hmm. like this beautiful shining star. And I couldn't believe it. Like it's my dream job right in front of me. And I was so excited. And um, then she describes about what a sexologist is and how it's a person who, you know, um, like my understanding, I only had the one kind of open discussion. Oh, it was beautiful guys. Um, so she was just, um, she just goes around talking about sex and and educating people and I just thought it was the coolest thing and I'm around all these people and um there was um 
there's a, a sex shop. I'm not, I think it's a chain. I think they have a, a, quite a few stores, but it's called um, Hustler Hollywood, I believe. And I was next to this wonderful vendor and we were just having open conversations about sex. And I thought it was so cool. Like, um, and I realized I was, as I was talking to her, that the feeling that I was getting was like, I was wearing a corset, you know, and talking to her felt like I could breathe. And I commented on that sense of freedom that I had in our conversation. And I said, you know, I can't really have talks like this. We were talking about um, the toys that we enjoy, um, different types of things that we use, like stuff like that. And I just was like, wow, like I can't talk to other people like this. Like she's like, people are so... Um, I don't know. I, we keep saying shame. I wish I had another word to describe it, but yeah, just click closed off. You know, there is a lot of shame around it. And to be in a space like that where people can just talk openly was like, I've been in free sexual situations, but I have never felt freer than in that discussion and in that moment. And I tell y'all, I didn't speak up once during that conversation and I still felt free as a bird. I was just so excited to be in that space. And I'm really excited to find out what learning about that job has opened up in my life. Watch me become a sexologist. I swear to God. So um, that was so cool. But um, one thing that was brought up in the conversation, which wasn't news to me. Like I, I try to go into most situations as I think most people should like, um, the wise man, uh, the way the, the fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. Just never think, you know, everything you don't. And there's always more to learn. You constantly keep that open mind and you'll always be better for it. So I tried to keep that open mind during that conversation. And one thing I did kind of build on in my knowledge was um kind of what was happening here in the movie was all these different explorations of different sexual positions and um like we were talking about in later like latter podcasts about how when you're with new partners you tend to try new things and then there's a new tool in your um, sexual toolbox that you can enjoy with your partner, um, you know, like your primary or whoever you stumble up upon. Um, but one thing I didn't really consider, I have practiced, but not as seriously as I think I will in the future, especially after that conversation, was when you masturbate in different positions you kind of open up a channel for yourself to enjoy those positions more and more. Like, you might only be able to come in one position. You might be only able to, like, only, only, I like, I'm, sometimes it feels like I'm only able to do it, like, on top or on my back and no other positions. But if you explore those by yourself and kind of create those avenues and just keep practicing you're more likely to do that with your partner it's just kind of like your brain gets like these kind of channels your body gets these channels of it's like comfort. your training yeah kind of like that and um that's that's really all you got to do if you find that you can't come orgasm in certain positions try practicing it on your own and enjoy those different positions and then you'll be able to explore those more with the partner when maybe the stress is more on Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool, you know, that they were doing all these different positions. I thought that was really good for them and really healthy. Yeah. Wow, that was really in depth. I really, I really liked what you said. Thanks, Javi. Very nice. I can't wait for uh, for you to own your own little whorehouse one day. <laughs> the dream. I'll be your best little whore. <laughs> oh my god.
Haley, have you ever had an FWB? What do you think of, of FWBs? Do you think those actually work out like they intend? Absolutely. I think that, you know, every type of situation or relation works for anybody. Does it work for me? No, it doesn't work for me. Um, there, I don't really enjoy the um, men versus women and stereotypical kind of gender roles that seem to kind of show up in the film about like women like. Oh, he, he goes, I know how you women get, you know, like, come on, let's cuddle. Let's spend our lives together. And then she goes like, you guys are any better. Huh, huh, I'm done. <laughs> but in my situ, my personal experience with cisgender men being a cis woman, uh, that's exactly how it goes. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, stereotypically. You hate that is so true. It's, I hate that it is so true. That is how it is for me. There was a time in college, actually, where I did notice that every single person that I had sex with, I fell in love with. And I hated that. I hated that someone who I barely knew could have that much control over me. I remember watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I didn't fact check the show, y'all. But they do um, like a... I, I think that... They do do a lot of do do. <laughs> they do a lot of research. <laughs> that was my fault. Um, they do a lot of research. Um, they, they, I think that Rachel Bloom is a smart woman, and I think that she likes to be educated in her information when she created that show. But no, I did not fact check it. But they did say in the show that there's just some type of hormone that gets released in women's bodies that creates that feeling of love when cuddling after sex um i don't know if that is given off through men's bodies so um yeah like unfortunately that is how it goes for me there was a point in time where i thought i kind of broke the spell on that and i think nowadays and uh, but especially um after i kind of like quote unquote broke the spell um, I was able to have sex with people and not like fall in love with them. But nowadays I give into that feeling. Um, I think especially because and Javi and I will discuss this a bit more in this podcast, but what um what is kind of happening in my life right now is I wait a long time to have sex with people now. And that that is due to our boundaries. And I do flip-flop back and forth on keeping the boundaries the way they are, keeping my own personal rules about when to have sex. Like, so for example, um, in the, well, this is, this has been a theme in, I think a couple of rom-coms, but there is a point in friends with benefits where they are mocking a rom-com and it's so funny. Um, but she's, but the guy says to her, I think it's, um, his, the actor's name is Jason. And then it's the, the, the Brown lady from Parks and Rec. I don't remember her name. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I don't wish I remembered their names, but he goes, I love that you have a five date rule. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> five date rule. That's basically um, kind of what I'm doing right now, but it's not necessarily five dates. It's like right now and Javier and I are, um, you know, maybe changing up our boundaries soon. We're going to have a conversation about it. But um, right now it's um, I need to see your STD results before we have sex but it's tricky it's very tricky to ask that of somebody 
I, I just go, it's just, it's just a lot of work, you know, it's a lot of waiting, but it has kept me so safe. And there have been quite a few people where I feel like, hey, you know, this person's great. I found someone that I really could love. And, you know, they know my partner, they know about my relationship, they seem to like me a lot, and I like them. And, you know, I am ready to go with go and and and, and do that um, next intimate step with them. I'm ready for it. All right, go get tested. And time and time again, I've been so grateful that I never had sex with that person because they end up being just the shittiest of the shits. And I'm so glad that I didn't go down that road. So it's just tough. It's tough. I don't even remember why I brought all that up. No, I, I you know, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. You know, I, at one point, I could never see myself making that work because i too would be falling in love with everyone that i had sex with you know really and, and i wanted that that's so interesting coming from you because i know i'm sorry to interrupt but i know that you've had that friends with benefits kind of situation which made me think that you and i were fundamentally different or like maybe as men and women but also just as people like you're i thought you were just more laid back with me whereas like we've discussed in the past a lot of I think that you and your your and my relationship together right now is the longest relationship you and I have both have ever been in. But typically, my relationships are very long term. Whereas yours, you I think you told me the other night it was like the longest one was like four or six months. Yeah, it was like six to nine months. Yeah. So I just I thought that you and I were fundamentally fundamentally different in biology and in personality. So you saying that to me is really surprising to me. Yeah. Well, I got of there eventually but i used to you know have sex with someone and immediately my head would go to relationship escalator and trying to make this a long committed long-term relationship and then i took that year off from dating and then i had plenty of those fwb kind of situation yeah and that was great and i loved it and it was great and you know then i started getting back into uh making a more focused effort on finding one person and all this stuff and then eventually i found you and then my life opened up and my i could explore other relationships at the same time and now i'm at a point in my life where now an fwb would be perfect for me i, I would i would really love just someone i could not just like happy hobby advertising on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> hey if you're interested i guess i don't know but you know because i'm so emotionally fulfilled by this relationship that i'm in with you that I'm not I'm not really looking for someone the another long-term partner if it happened it, you know if they're down to, for for that kind of life uh with me and with you uh and they wanted to fit it into our busy schedules and figure out how to join lives together like that then sure we can figure it out you know love love finds a way always but I'm so focused on my career right now and so focused on you that uh, I barely feel like I have enough time or energy by my for myself. But just having some fun with somebody and having a friend that I could do that with that would that sounds great, you know. So I really wish I could do that now. But back in the day, you know, that was that wasn't uh, my my head would go to a lot of negative places. I find yeah. it for me. I really need to feel safe, loved respected and you can get all that from a friendship absolutely you can but the kind of attention that i need as well i don't feel typically 
people who consider themselves to be friends are, you know, typically willing to give me. Um, it's hard to even find people who want to be in my life romantically to give me the kind of attention that I need, that I want. I need, I ask, a, I give a lot. So I ask a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, in the past versus me, I'm like a cactus. You, you can watch me. Excuse me. Like, you <laughs> I thought me like you meant because you're like, I'm prickly and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're saying I need little water. Yeah. Whereas I'm a very thirsty plant. Yeah. You're um, a sunflower. And sunflower. I grow big and bright. Yeah. I think yeah. that's a great flower for me. You need a lot of care, but you're very, you're much of sunshine. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> absolutely you're sweet and he's good at doing it too he's good um yeah and uh, if he needs too much attention then it's not for me i'm glad he's a captain <laughs> <laughs> just kidding um but i remember your initial question was like have i had a situation like that um what has happened for me in the past when i was more promiscuous and more uh, carefree and the way that i practice sex was i would be romantically interested sexually interested in somebody but they never fulfilled the role of romantic partner that i needed them to so kind of like i am now i try to meet people where they can meet me and if they can't give me more i try not to ask for more and um i i was like that monogamously um unless i had a monogamous partner then that person was just someone in my life um, I wouldn't say goodbye to them or anything like that. There might even be some flirtation, but you know, it, it never, it never really crossed lines like that. Nowadays, someone can exist in my life in that way. And that is technically okay, but I still find that that's not enough for me. And um, when somebody's in my realm, I need them to show up for me the way that I need them to, which is, it's not, it's not great. I don't necessarily think that's the best way to be. It just kind of consistently when I have partners that fall short of my expectations, it just doesn't work for me, but I do try to, to meet people where they can meet me. That's how I try to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of my answer to your question. All right. So uh, my little painter, what do you think of the visuals of this movie? Okay. So um, there wasn't a ton a visual art in the movie. The only thing that I could really comment on was the really cool way that um, the the Dylan uh, incorporated flash mobs into the design aspect of marketing. But you know what the really visually fantastic um, art was what? in this movie? Uh, Myla Kunis's smoky eyes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh Her yeah. Makeup. She's a cobra with nails. Uh, a dagger with eyelashes, uh, the monster under your bed, but that monster's trying to fuck. Interesting. Yeah. And that's all I have to say on that. Wow. So we got to give props to the makeup artist. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They and uh, her, uh, her Ukrainian genetics. I love the way that she makes her voice so low. She can be s sultry. Best way to describe it, sultry. She's like, what? How did she say that? She was, he was like, um, um, I li really like your eyes. And he's, and she's like, but he's like lips. She says something else. And he goes, eyes. She's like, you already said that. I meant it. You know, their voices just get low, 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 low. Oh yeah. Love it. Oh yeah. I remember when I watched that with you, Javi, I got goosies. It was so good. <laughs> what, um, what do you have about the music? Well, see, I called you my little painter. You gotta give me a little, cute little nickname before you ask. Okay. Um, 
Okay, my little note maker. What do you have about the music? Um, well, you know, it was a lot of pop songs, which uh, I love pop songs. But I was just wondering, it's like very expensive to get us like song rights for, for a movie. Even if you have like one second, it doesn't matter if you have one second of a song or the whole song. It still costs the same. Oh, I didn't know that. And the end credits has three different, very popular songs in it. It's like, how much money did they spend on this? Like, I get it. It's like, it wasn't an action film or anything. They had a pretty big budget to get these two big name actors and they had different location sets. So they probably just like, hey, we have all this excess money. Let's blow it on a bunch of cool music. And that's what he did. Turned out great. I liked it. I love how they actively comment on the music that's done in rom-coms, um, especially in the part where they make fun of the rom-coms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your favorite scene? My favorite scene was the bloopers at the end. There were bloopers? You fell asleep for that, so you didn't see it. Oh. But yeah, at the it was an end credit scene where they have bloopers of the rom-com that they were watching. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. It's hilarious. I love that. Also, that rom-com they were watching, like, it's supposed to be over the top and, like, really campy, but there were nuns in the background of every single scene. Maybe it's meant to be, like, quirky. Like, rom-coms can be kind of like that. Yeah. There was, like, nuns in the airport, nuns in the bar they were, like, nuns everywhere. Is that a rom-com I, trope? I guess New York's all out of blueberries. That was a quote from the rom-com that they were watching. Oh. Yeah, it was dumb. It was really silly, but I really liked the bloopers. <laughs> I love a good end credit scene. What's your favorite scene, Haley? My favorite scene is when they make the agreement to become friends with benefits. Jamie. Yeah. Let's play tennis. What? Let's have sex like we're playing tennis. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> Don't laugh. This could be great. This could take all the weirdness out of it. Well, we talked about this. I don't like you like that. I don't like you like that either. That's why it's perfect. <laughs> I don't even know if I find you attractive. That's cute. Like, do you have a thing for jerks? Well, do you even find me attractive? That's cute. No, no, no. Before you got to know my awesome personality, strictly physical. First time you saw me. There's just two people talking. Yeah. Two girls over drinks at Bennigan's. Go. I liked your eyes. I didn't think I'd ever seen such big, beautiful eyes. Your lips. Yeah, thought you might be a good kisser. I am. <laughs> Your breasts. What about them? They intrigued me. Really? Yeah. Oh, I think they're so tiny. Still breasts. Thanks. I liked your hands. Mouth. Butt. Voice. Chest. Eyes. You said that. I meant it. You swear you don't want anything more from me other than sex? You swear you don't want anything more from me? Oh, how you girls get... What are you doing? I'm pulling up my Bible app. You have a Bible app? Yes. I am a good girl. Hand on the iPad. Okay. Wait. No. Why can't they figure this out? No. This thing thinks I'm you and you're me. Keep your hands still. I'll move the iPad. It's actually making me dizzy. Hold on. There we go. No relationship. No emotions. Just sex. Whatever happens, we stay friends. Swear. 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 That was my favorite scene. If if I were going to have friends with benefits, that's probably exactly how it would go. So, would you also get a Bible app for that? 
I mean, uh, that sounds like something I would do, but I don't have a Bible app. She must be Christian. Like, that's the only reason I can think that somebody would just have that downloaded. But it seems like its only thing was to glow. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm not really sure why she had that Apps downloaded. Apps were a little weird in 2011. They weren't as, uh, as uh, advanced yeah, yet. Yeah, you couldn't read the Bible. You could just look at it and watch it glow. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite quote? Uh, my favorite quote is something that I just is like a life model for me. Where they say, are you sure about this? No, me neither. And I do it. That's great. I ta- <laughs> yeah. You should tackle life of like that. all the things I thought you might say. Yeah, you should tackle life like that always. Yeah. Yeah. If you always wait until you're sure, you'll never do anything. It's literally so true. So true. I'm a big overthinker. Yeah. Nowadays, when I think things, I just do it. Just do it. It's Nike been a lot said better like that. Yeah, Nike said it best. There was a date I recently went on and I went to this. I think it was an Asian festival and I was on a date with this guy and we were playing a game and I said, winner gets a kiss. And that was something that I said in my head first. And then I said, Haley, just say it. And then I said it. And I think that now when I say things like that, people get kind of taken aback. And I find that delicious. Mm-hmm. What about you? What is your favorite quote? My favorite quote. This was actually runner up for my favorite scene. And it's the awkward scene when the mom walks in on them having sex. And it's her quote that um, <laughs> I'll tell you guys after this is playing. Maybe you can guess what my favorite quote is in this. I can't see you putting on your black underpants. Jamie, baby, I missed you. Oh, baby. Ah, did your boobs get bigger? Mom, I'm over here. Oh, hey, baby. Oh, no, they didn't. What are you doing here? Oh, Victor turned out to be a total lombard. L-O-M-B-A-R-D, lots of money, but a real dullard. Victor, her fiance. Ex. Fiance. What happened? Nothing. He was just blah. I mean, nice, but it was like talking to dirt. I woke up one day and I said, Lorna, I'm Lorna. <clears throat> Dylan. I said, Lorna, this is not your bliss. Just because you're 39. 48. It doesn't mean you have to settle. He's not an insurance claim. So I caught the first plane off the island. Cleveland's not an island. Oh, baby, it is. Anyway, here I am. It's so good to see you. You never told me you had a hot boyfriend. He's not my boyfriend, Mom. Oh. That's right. We're just friends. Well, I love it. Oh, it's like the 70s in here. Woo. That was a better time. Just sex. A little grass, a little glue. Not during pregnancy. Well, not during the final trimester. But no complications. It's great. (sighs) Okay, well, that's technically, I guess, what this is. That's exactly what this is. So my daughter is just your slam piece? No, no, a slam piece. Just kidding. Slam away. Have fun. I think this is great. The only thing is it takes you off the market. But what the hell? The whole reason you go to the market is to buy the produce, which you already got. What's my favorite quote? Lombard, lots of money, but a real dullard. <laughs> no, though that's very clever, Miss Lorna. Oh, it smells like the seventies in oh, here. Oh, it's like the seventies in here. <laughs> while she's waving her hands around, like the smell is just wafting through the air. I love it. I love that. That's my favorite quote. Slam away. Yeah, it was my daughter's just your slam piece. Slam piece. This is something I'm going to incorporate in my vocabulary oh, now. Oh, God. Slam piece. <laughs> hey, baby, you want to be my slam piece? No. <laughs> oh, that's Never. bad. It's pretty bad. A left swipe. Goodbye. Yeah. Forever. Left swipe on myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So in that scene, 
She says, the only, the only problem is it takes you off the market. But the only reason you go to the market is to get the produce, make an eye contact with his D, which, was, which is what you already got. So um, what do you think about that? Do you think that having a friends with benefits situation, maybe in a more monogamous mindset, takes you, quote unquote, off the market? Because I don't actually think it takes you off the market at all. So the cool thing I like about non-monogamy is that you can participate in casual romances or friends with benefits type of situations. And it's no problem if you, quote, catch feelings because you don't have to break off that romance in favor of another, quote, more important or real relationship or person like they do here. In this film, Jamie and Dylan stop their casual romance because Jamie wants to start dating again. She has a whole notion of this relationship escalator, which has been modeled for her by the rom-coms she watches, where she has to go on five dates with somebody before consummating the relationship. And also by her mom's, uh, you know, what, what she just said, like, we can see that her mom, even though she's 48 or 39, sorry, 39 and still having casual sex, uh, she's still perpetuating this thing where, you know, you have you have to be only with one person. This structure that she sees in these rom-coms might feel safer to her than what her mom has modeled for her, which is unstable, flaky, and chaotic. But I wish I could just tell them, all of them, Jamie, her mom, and Dylan, that you can do this kind of casual openness with sex and relationships. Love comes in all kinds of forms. Most relationships, most, will not last decades. Some will last a few years, a couple months, maybe just a single day. Trying to force a round connection into a square hole just makes people involved feel trapped, uncomfortable, or end up unhappy. If everyone communicates what they're honestly looking for up front, then that saves everyone the trouble. And I get that sometimes not everyone knows what they want, especially when you're the age of these characters where there's 20 to 30 focus on their careers and still figuring things out. These characters do a good job of communicating. Like we saw in that in that sex scene that they just want a simple FWB relationship and are great at communicating exactly what they want and like during sex, which I really like about this film. That's why I think that's the strongest point I want to I like about this film was that scene where they're communicating during sex. Yeah, actually, like I would love to comment on that. The um, the amount of communication is. Actively expressed in the film as only being able to occur because they're just friends. Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, I get it, but I don't really get it at the same time. But I think that what they're kind of maybe illustrating is that when you're seeing someone new or when you really care about what somebody thinks, you tend to sugarcoat your truth or maybe not express yourself to the full extent, especially in sensitive situations. So I do get what they're coming at. Um, maybe they're just kind of like not as scared to hurt each other's feelings, which is when, when you're, when you do romantically care about somebody. And I think I've expressed to you before too. It's like that the closer somebody is to you and to your heart and how you care and love for them, the more easily they can hurt you because you're especially attuned and sensitive to what they think and what they feel. So maybe because 
in this movie, they do kind of class each other, classify each other as friends that they are less scared of kind of trampling the flower of their relationship. Um, it, Cause you know, maybe, maybe that, maybe that, you know, I, I thought it was dumb at first, but I, I do just kind of wish that kind of transparency could exist in sexual connections without it being so attached to ego is kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah. And you know, you don't see that, that kind of uh, expression in mainstream movies. You don't see them talking really specifically about what feels good for them on their bodies. Like, you know, touch me this way. Don't do this. Don't tickle my nipples and you know, all that stuff. Tickle my nipples. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't touch my nipples. My nipples. Make sure you, you, you rub Did my Did they say that in the movie? Tickle my nipples. Just, he just says, don't touch my nipple because they tickle. Oh, you know? got it, got it, got you it. You know, things like that. You know, he's very communicative. She is as well. She's like, look, do this. You know, put your tongue up and down like and this spot and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they're very explicit about it. They're very specific. And you don't really see that in mainstream movies. Most of the time in movies and in TV, the main characters either it's have like dance. perfectly blissful sex without yes. talking at all, not making a single, just moans. Or... They're really clumsy because of their lack of a communication. And it's like a yeah. puzzle pieces won't or fit. Or like one person's being thrown around like a rag doll. Yeah. And you know, the, what we see here in Friends with Benefits is what healthy communication looks like during sex. But they are a bit abrasive about it, too, because of that that lack of care of mm-hmm. the other person's feelings. Yeah. But I think if they started off like this, then when they really do care about each other's feelings, I don't think they will be as afraid because they've they've broken that that uh, that bubble basically. They've uh, they've gone through the the kind of awkward. It's a little bit awkward because of society and everything, but it's a little bit awkward to communicate exactly like no, actually don't do it like this, do it like this instead. You know something that. Um Because obviously I do care about what you think when we're having sex. Something that I practice actively that I think would like maybe help other people um, is uh, the compliment sandwich, which I actually did learn in management training um, where you say something nice, you give your criticism and then you say something nice again. And I think that's a really great way to protect the ego and the feelings of whoever you're communicating with. It could work in sex, but it could also work in your daily life. So for example, I really like what you're doing. Do you think maybe you could do this, but you're doing a great job, you know, and that might actually yeah, help a lot. Easy example right there. And yeah. that, that's a lot better than, hey, do this instead. Or like that really hurts or, you know, just like, like, stop that. Oh, that sucks. You suck. Get out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Not nice. Yeah. Not nice, guys. <laughs> yeah. Just to, you know, think about how you would like to be talked to. How, how would it make you feel? Just put yeah. yourself in people's shoes. And I don't understand, you know, like, I, I really hope that this isn't the norm. But if you are out there lying to your partner about the orgasms that you are receiving, stop that. <laughs> stop it. Mm-hmm. You know how many men I've encountered that say that they can make a woman come vaginally? And I don't know if they're lying, but I just feel that they have been lied to. Like, I just like... It's just, it doesn't seem as easy to do. But that being said, during that sexology conversation, this was such a cool statistic that she threw out at us. And I don't remember, you know, exactly what she said, but the gist of it was basically that when, you know, like, you know, there's the whole thing about like, men are so easy to orgasm and women take forever, right? Oh, we take so long. And that's been my experience typically, unless I do it myself. 
then it's easy as pie. But that's basically the thing is that when men and women are alone, they typically take the same amount of time to come. So it's not necessarily that women take longer and men are so fast. They, we can come at the exact same time. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with atmosphere. A lot of it, you know, and like there's a thing too where people think that getting a woman turned on is foreplay. That's not foreplay. It's just part of sex. You know, you got to warm up that oven. And that should just be a natural part of the sex that you have. And if you don't do that, you're robbing yourself. Preheat the cake or it will deflate. Is that something you learned in baking? And in sex? <laughs> yeah. So, um, but basically, if you are a penis having person having sex with a vagina wearer, <laughs> um, what you're, you're hurting yourself. Um, anybody having sex with a person who has a vagina, um, you're, you're, you're harming yourself because what's happening is that they're not going to be as invested in the sex. If you, if you have a penis, it's not going to feel as good. Um, so, and it, yeah, so just, um, just, you know, do the good stuff, take your time and you could, you're like so much more likely to get them to that place. And it's actually not as hard as you think, especially with a little bit of communication and practice and like, make sure that there's a safe space or an erotic atmosphere to do that. You know, use the toys, use the condoms, use the vibrators, you know, like l life is for fun. Don't put yourself in a box because of, um, you know, conserv conservations or, or shame, like this, this space should be free for you to explore. Like life is so short, you know, and if you don't do it now, you'll be doing it when you're when you're 50. And you want to you really want to be starting this when you're 50. I don't think so. But also a uh, caveat, it's never too late to start, guys. Absolutely not. That's my whole point is that like people do tend to be more explorative in their later years. But I think that should start as soon as possible. Yeah, go for it. Do do what you think is the kinkiest thing. Oh man, using lube, go for it. Just try it once. <laughs> yeah. Try it by yourself. I have to date, dated someone who thought lube was kinky. That and that was a very like I would love to talk about that too. That was a very confusing maze to navigate with this person. So like I for I didn't actually consider myself to be kinky at all because for me, what kinky meant was hanging from the ceiling with metal chains or using candles or cutting, you know, people, there was um, a place I've been to that I do recommend called uh, the dungeon in Ybor. I'm pretty sure Orlando area. And I think it's a really safe and great space to explore things like that. Um, they don't allow alcohol consumption. Um, so you, you're, you're in the, the, perfect state of mind to feel safe i think you know everyone's very welcoming they have tutorials and things like that can't be the only place out there i'm sure but yeah i was seeing stuff like that there and i thought that that was that was oh wow that's so kinky how cool you know and there's something that uh, i all do often in my partnerships is apparently called free use where you just grab your partner whenever wherever you want to and a lot of people i talk to about this new um discovery of a, of a certain type of kink which i didn't really understand or know before um they'll be like oh yeah of course i do that but they don't actually understand that that is a kink to some people so um yeah the, the person that i dated they were like no toys no lube and i thought that that was to their own 
um, what's the word? Detriment. Absolutely. And um, I have also what I what I'm kind of and I'm 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 putting words in their mouth when I say this, but I did communicate with somebody recently who straight up asked me, and I loved that they asked me this because they just were like, Do you find that in your use of toys that you know, you find yourself reliant on it. Absolutely not. You know, um, how I described it to the person that I dated was, um, but I, I equivalated the sexual experience that I was trying to cultivate for them in that evening as, um, I could eat, I could dine in with you. We could have dinner at the, at home and that's great. Or we could go out to eat and that's great. If you go out to hibachi, does that mean that you want hibachi every single night? No. And it's the same thing with toys and sexual exploration. Sometimes you just want ramen. I like vanilla, French vanilla ice cream as much as the next guy, but I like Neapolitan and Rocky Road and pistachio almond. Ooh. You know, every once in a while I want a, want a cotton candy. I never do that, but every once in a while. Yeah. You know? Even even things that are a little weird. Praline ice cream? Ooh. Maybe wow. next month we'll try it. Hey. <laughs> we'll put some sprinkles on top. We'll try it out. Yeah. So it's like that too. So if you do have any hesitations about using toys for the reason that you think that your partner might prefer it, um, do, just remove that from your mind. It doesn't like I, I can't imagine. I'm sure there's expectations to everything, but I can't I can't imagine that that's going to be the situation. It's just more like the sprinkles to your ice cream rather than something that's maybe consistently visited. And if it is consistently visited, all you found is an avenue to pleasure that your partner really appreciates. And I don't really see what's wrong with that. You said it. There was um a scene in the movie that I thought was really like a little complex and problematic. And I would love to kind of talk to you a little bit about it because sh- this uh, Jamie character was just not making sense to me. Jamie. How'd you know it's up here? Only place in the city you don't get reception. Right. Why are you avoiding me? I'm not. Really? Come on, Jamie. Well, Dylan, I don't know if you've heard. But I am seriously fucked up. I mean, Magnum P.I. couldn't solve the shit going on up here. Oh, my God, I'm but sorry. But I'm just going to go and try to fix the shit going on up in my head, if that's even possible. I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I was just trying to get my sister off my back. She thought we liked each other. Yeah, me too, Dylan. I thought we were friends. But friends don't go talking shit about each other. Which must mean that you and I were actually never friends. That all you wanted was to get in my pants. What? You jumped at the chance at your dad's house. You cracked your neck. I thought you were giving me a sign. We talked about this. Oh my God, really? You pulled my robe off. Oopsie, remember? Yeah. And then you snuck out of the room. Oopsie, remember that? What, are you pissed off at me because I didn't cuddle? Isn't that why we started this whole arrangement in the first place? You wanted this. I wanted this? Just me. God, you are just like every other guy. The sad thing is, Dylan, I actually thought you were different. Different from what? I'm not your boyfriend, I'm your friend. And with friends like you, who needs friends? And, uh, thank you for ruining my mountaintop. What do you think about that? So what I saw there was just a miscommunication about 
about what was said of what Justin Timberlake said to his sister. And instead of confronting him there, she just decided to leave and block him on everything, basically, and ignore him and ghost him, basically, uh, until he found her. You know, it doesn't make sense for the character that she is. She's like, she's strong and she's confrontational. She'll, she's assertive. So it didn't make sense for me there. Realistically speaking, it feels like it was just like the writer just needed to throw a wrench in everything. So that way the story can have some conflict. I, I actually, as I'm hearing you say it and thinking about it, do I think it's realistic? Yeah, actually, I do think it's really realistic um, because it's so dumb, you know, and it's like. I, I learned recently from my landmark seminar about people making up stories um, in their head as they go about their lives. And I think that when she heard him say that, you know, thing about her, you know, Magnum PI couldn't fix the shit going on in my brain. Um, you know, she, her, she kind of ran with that and she goes, that's what he really thinks about me. And he's just using me and has been using me this whole time. And that's what other people have said. What do you mean? That uh, she's messed up in the head that she's emotionally damaged. And maybe she like believes it. You know, she might believe that. So that maybe for her, that really hit home. Um, but I, I get where she's kind of coming from. It wasn't like, honestly, everything she said didn't really make sense to me as I watched it, as I listened to it just now with you. But kind of like picking apart her mentality, it is becoming a bit more clear to me because he's kind of coming from this really nonchalant perspective, which is where they both entered that space in, which is, it's true. But back in Cali, when they had that romantic connection, it was romantic and it was romantic for him as well. But because of his own emotional unavailability, he wasn't able to own up to what the truth of that experience was and instead he made her feel crazy for being upset about um the distancing that he started doing by communicating with his sister about her mental state which was not not cool as her friend either um but one thing that you know i think that She's kind of looking for reasons to be mad at him and this kind of thing. When when he when he says you wanted this, she goes, oh, just me. You know, it's like, OK, you we don't you don't need to go there. Like you're just kind of looking for reasons to distance yourself. So I think that's kind of what I'm going to interpret it as, as she was working really hard to distance herself from him. And it didn't really matter what he said. He she was going to find some reason to get mad about it so that she can leave and make him feel bad for what's going on. Yeah, she caught feelings and those feelings got hurt. And even though they swore on the Bible, they wouldn't do that. You can't, you can't, <laughs> help. Just his eyes. You can't help when you're going to catch feelings. Like feelings are going to happen. Love is going to happen no matter what. Yeah, I think that the best you can do for situations like this is not make promises, especially if you don't know if you can keep them, you know, because they're saying you swear this, you swear it'll be like this. And no one can know the future. No one can predict that. I think that maybe the best way to show up to situations like this is saying, 
hey, this is what I'm currently looking for and just keeping the person updated with what you need. And um, if those needs change, communicate it, you know, and if that person can't meet you there, then that person's not right for you. And I know it can be really hard. Like, I absolutely know how hard it can be. You know, like I, I'm. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like into somebody who's like very monogamous and it's just never going to go how I would like it to go. Um, and I get that it's really hard to get out of those kinds of situations. So I get it easier said than done, but the best thing you can do is communicate. And that's all you can ask the other person to do too. And that's the healthiest way that you can show up to those kind of situationships or relationships in your life. You've said it every single episode and we probably will say it every single episode. Communicate honestly. Yeah. Be your authentic self. That's the most powerful thing that you have available in your arsenal is being yourself. Just be yourself. So, Javi, should these people just be poly? Yes. Yes. Gosh. I agree. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ugh. There was a point in the film where they were like, okay, we're going to stop seeing each other. Look, we did it. We're just friends. It's great. And then... He sees a pretty girl reading a book on um, a, a stairwell and he goes, all right, I'm going to go talk to her. And she's like, what, like right now in front of all these people? And he's like, no, I didn't say I was going to rape her. I'm just going to go talk to her. And he does. And uh, you can see the entire time the camera is focused on her while there's this kind of like obscure, hard to hear conversation going on across the way. She's uncomfortable. So... Clearly, at this stage, she has caught some feelings and seeing him interact with somebody else bothered her. She got jealous. She, she did not experience compersion. No, she did not experience compersion. And so in that moment, if they were poly, it wouldn't have been a thing as much. She would have... She maybe would have practiced compersion more in that experience and they could have still had their little friends with benefits situation and not had to halt it, even though I don't think that's what either of them really wanted to do to pursue more monogamous, intimate, romantic connections with other people. Um, then she goes and she starts dating some guy and it turns out to not work out. And then they kind of have their little hookup and then it turns into this like little climactic kind of explosion in their relationship. Um, but yeah, that is how I think that polyamory could have positively impacted their connection where maybe that little connection in the end will like one them feeling romantic feelings for each other wouldn't have scared each other because I think what really scares them is the commitment aspect the relationship escalator that they're exactly in their heads. exactly they think that once i'm here then i got to be here then i got to be here and this is what this person's going to expect of me and i don't know if i want to give that and when you're when you're in this kind of amorphous relationship those expectations are no longer restricting you where it feels like you're trapped and um, yeah, I do think that that is how polyamory could have positively impacted their connection. Yeah. And because they're monogamous, they're, you know, their whole line of thinking is, hey, this is going great, but I want to sacrifice this for potentially something better that I see in my head versus if they were poly, hey, this is going great. 
And I'm also going to pursue this other thing that I see also going great in my head. And then you should just have two great things in your life instead of potentially zero. You know, it just makes, it just makes physical sense, guys. Be poly, you know, rent's pretty high. You need a lot of people to cover the bill. Monogamy in this, in this economy? economy? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> what would you give this film out of five stars? And it has to be like 0.5 increments, right? Mm-hmm. 4.5. 4.5. A near perfect film. Wow. I like it. Oh, yeah, I yeah. think it's great. I think it's rewatchable. I think it's hearty. There's only one part where I find personally problematic where they say the R word once. But I think that that's even kind of done in a playful way where it doesn't really hurt my feelings. But obviously, it's still inappropriate and disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to give this a three and a half stars. I really dug this film. Word. Yeah. I like this film a lot. So an average of four for us. Let us see what Letterbox has to say. Letterbox has an average of 2.9. So people kind of liked it. It was okay. 2.5 is half, so better than mm-hmm. better than average. Yeah, it's like basically three. So people think it's a good movie. Yeah. Three is good. Word. Uh, half of the reviews on Letterbox are just John fucking Mayer. <laughs> <laughs> They're just quoting Emma Stone. So Emma Stone was the was Justin Timberlake's ex girlfriend in the movie. Glitter, like, glitter. I love her. <laughs> All right, and I just want to post some of the lines that Emma, Emma Stone has. Ten lines in the movie, and these are a couple of them. Here's an idea. Next time, instead of being late, just shit on my face because that's kind of the same thing as missing your body as a Wonderland. Thank you for doing this before the concert, by the way. Best breakup. He is the Cheryl Crow of our generation. It is not you at all. Of course it's me. You can't say that. You're breaking up with me. It's not. It's me. I don't like you anymore. He's the Cheryl Crow of our generation. He's the Cheryl Crow of our generation. Someone wants to see a, uh, a spinoff where Emma Stone and Andy Sandberg's characters end up together. That's cute. I don't hate it. <laughs> yeah. One last thing. About the end credits, uh, one thing I, there was one like uh, I usually say my favorite transition. I love transitions in films. I think that's like a really cool moment for just the director and oh, the editor for everyone just to show off a little bit, make something cool visually happen. Right at the very end is the end credit the scene. The end. I thought the best transitions were in the beginning with no. all those breakup. So you know? this was while you were f- fell asleep. It it was really cool. Yeah. Uh, so what happened was. There's these at the end credits, these hands like Mila Kunis and Justin Timberlake's hands are like putting the words on the screen and taking them off oh, and flashing them away. And I stuff. saw that. Yeah, yeah. So the one her hand slides across the word from right to left and it turns down the brightness of the word, which also turns down the volume of the song. It makes it sound muffled. And then his sl- hand slides from left to right and it turns up the brightness of the word which re-raises the volume of the song. Hmm. And I thought that was just dope it's as very hell. very creative. 
Um, but to kind of like, and I hear you, I think that's wonderful. Um, but at, as far as the film itself goes, I think that the transitions in the beginning of the film are just fantastic because they really just deliciously mislead you to think that the main characters are already together. So you kind of already experience this love connection with them, even though that when they're talking on the phone with each other, it looks like they're responding to each other, but they're actually responding to their respective partners who are meeting them together. And then it goes back and forth between the breakup scenes where they both get dumped at the same time. Yeah, that's a that's a great for opening scene. Yeah, transition for sure. In you you learn other. a lot, you know, in a in a in a, sl a, a very small amount of time. It's like mm -hmm. a five minute thing. Yeah, and one other last note that I just thought of was, you know, he's an uh, an art director. He he designed he has like a website that he designs and uh, magazine covers and all these things. But at the very beginning, we're looking at his website design. And I'm telling you, it's the ugliest website I've ever seen in my life. Like 2000s websites were horribly designed. You, it's so messy. You can't find anything clearly. It's just weird you know, fonts Javi and bold said that, colors. He said it while we were watching the movie, but I actually looked at it and it looked to me very much like a modern article website that I would have seen with all those stupid ads trying to get you to click on it, blocking your view, uh, a girl in a maid costume bending over for clickbait. It all looked very modern to me. So I'm not really entirely sure what Javi sees. It's different from what we're experiencing but it's now. Like, it's like clickbait and it's like not good that's literally most of the internet yeah it's like how does that have six million hits Boobs. i don't get it <laughs> duncan my tits.com <laughs> what was that where you you put your your boobs in cake and she said i can get six million views doing that he's like it's been done oh <laughs> well yeah that's all we got for uh friends with benefits all right so now it's my turn to pick a movie I believe, right? It's my turn? Yes, of yes? course. Okay. Yeah. Okay, everybody. The next film we have is going to be a romantic Western from 2005. Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Anne Hathaway, Brokeback Mountain. I haven't seen it. I'm excited. I'm so excited for this film. Oh, wow. I saw it once. I didn't know Anne Hathaway was in that. Mm hmm. Saw it once a couple months ago. Maybe it was even last year, and it shattered me. Wow. It, it was so beautiful. I really can't wait. Okay. I'm, I'm pumped. All right. Great. Good choice. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please share, review, or comment to help us get discovered by new listeners. You can follow us on Instagram at Just Be Polly Podcast to stay updated on new episodes. I'm Haley. And I'm Javi. And this has been the Just, Just Be, Be Polly, Polly Podcast. Podcast. See you next time.